Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. Hello, podcast listeners. This is your host, Amber Pecorero. In this episode of the Contracting Experience podcast, I sit down with Colonel Damian Wilborn, who is the Deputy Director of Air Force Material Command Contracting Directorate. If you want to hear from an Air Force contracting leader that is engaging and passionate about leadership, then this is the episode for you. Colonel Wilborn provides insight into his leadership philosophies. He talks about drinking tea and how that relates to what he learned while working outside the continental U.S. for eight and a half years straight. Colonel Wilborn encourages us to not be afraid to seek mentorship as a mentor and a mentee. So welcome, Colonel Wilborn. Thank you, Amber. It's good to be here. So I just want to jump right in with a question. So um, you have over 22 years of experience with the Air Force. Can you tell me about where you're from and how you got involved with the Air Force? Oh, absolutely. So I'm originally from... Well, I was born in the Bronx, and I say that because I'm a huge Yankees fan, but I, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, um, and from there, after going through school, I went to the Virginia Military Institute for college, and while there, I got interested in the Air Force. We were forced to take an ROTC just because we were there, so um, true story, I chose the Air Force. Uh, to take Air Force ROTC because the line was shorter. Uh, everybody was hovered around the Army guys, and I said, oh, let me go talk to this guy. So, hey, lucky for us. Yeah, lucky <laughs> for us. And the guy was there smiling at me, and he told me all the great stuff that the Air Force ROTC program had to offer. And then from there, I just kind of stuck with it. And then during my cadetship, I decided to uh, come in the Air Force, and I've never looked back since. Um, did you ever have any like family in the Air Force or in the military, or is it just going to school and so that being was inspired that way? So that's interesting because um, I've learned since I've been in the military that I had family in the military. Okay. Growing up, I didn't know cool. that. So I thought that when I came into the military, I thought I was trail, you know, blazing trails, <laughs> and and uh, which was kind of cool just to think that, right? Yeah. I was propping my own self up in right. a way, but. But then the more I learned of the legacy of my family, um, my father, he was in Vietnam and in the Marine Corps and then some other folks, they were in the Air Force and uh, folks were in the Army. So we had representation from a bunch of people in my family, which actually gave to me more purpose of my of my service because I knew I was just kind of following the legacy of my family members. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Um, and even as I've progressed in the officer realms, I've found that I've, I've followed the footsteps of one of my great aunts who was a lieutenant colonel in the army um, and so that was a big deal to me as I've progressed through the ranks and I've felt like I've represented them well. So when you and I were talking prior to this podcast uh, you mentioned that leadership is something that you feel passionate about. Absolutely. So can you tell me about your philosophy on leadership and what it takes to be an influential leader in the Air Force? There's a lot of different things to me that goes into um, to being an influential leader. Um, so I would definitely say that I always start with this. Leadership is personal. So it's, it's all different. We, are, we have different personalities. We have different views, morals, ethics, and where we come from in the world. The, our lens, the way we see the world is completely different for different reasons, and that's okay. 
And but that's the beauty of leadership because any body can I'm a firm believer that anybody can be a leader just based on that fact. Um, you don't even have to be an appointed leader. You can be an informal leader and still get things done, influence people. Uh, so a lot of people may think that you have to be a certain rank or in a certain position as a contracting officer or whatever the case may be. I'm a firm believer that you can be a leader at any given time, no matter the rank from the bottom all the way up to the top. Um, but with that being said, I definitely feel that a leader, um, you have to be a leader of character. It starts with your character, being a person of integrity. Um, it's always said, you know, doing the right things when nobody's looking. To, but to me, it's, it's more about doing the right things no matter what, whether somebody's looking or not. Um, also, um, to me, to, to be an influential leader, you have to be competent. It is hard to be a leader to influence people if they cannot believe in your own skills that you bring to the table, or if you don't have enough experience or so forth and so on that can kind of get them to move the needle to change, you know, to change things or to get something done. If they can't believe in you, it's hard for you know, people to do things. Mm -hmm. um, they may still get it done, but it may not be because of you. Right, <laughs> it may right. be in, in spite of you. Um, I think you also have to be somewhat of a trust, not somewhat, but really a trustworthy person. Uh, at the end of the day, if, you're, if your folks that you are leading can believe in you, like I said, um, and they can trust you, that's to me is a, is a very big deal. Um, and, and you gain their trust through actions, you gain your, their trust through your experience. Um, so a lot of different opportunities are given to a leader to gain the trust of their folks. And it's incumbent upon a leader to, to, to move out on that. Um, also to be an influential leader, I think you, it's important that, one, you have to be able to know what the mission's about. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to understand what the mission is and then be able to, to articulate a vision that you have for your people. Mm -hmm. And then once you can articulate your, your, those things, I think it's important for a leader to really and genuinely show that they care. Um, if you, if it becomes very obvious to a lot of people and it's, it's talked about around the, the water cooler a lot, you hear it. I've been a follower. I've known we, we see people who are not genuine in their leadership when they're not doing it for the right reasons. Um, and people, they, they take note of that. And so to me, that kind of may take a little bit away from the, the influence of certain leaders right. if they don't really care. Um, a leader to me also has to be able to make tough decisions. Right. You know, there's so many different aspects of leadership that when it comes down to it, when you can get your folks to uh, follow you, mm -hmm. to understand what we're doing is important. Oh, and by the way, articulate the mission, vision, and and objectives and things like that, right. and really articulate it in a way that show folks that they matter, that what they're doing, and no matter what they're doing in the process, you can be doing some, some of the smallest stuff in a unit to the biggest things, in big source selection. Everybody in that unit matters. So to me, that really gives, um, uh, it really leads to a leader having influence as well because now you're really tapping into, you're truly tapping into what that, what, what, what gets the mission done right. in the first place, and right. that's the, the people. And if I could just pull on a couple threads there. Um, so, so one of them you said is understanding, you know, what your mission is. Mm -hmm. And I think to kind of take this back to the, the contract negotiators, the buyers, the pricers, the PCOs out there, 
and, and kind of what I would try to do as a supervisor of PCO for my buyers is understand what you're buying. Yes. You know, if, if you don't know what you're buying, it's going to make it a lot more difficult oh, to, yes. to try to put the requirement out on the street, to get the proposal in and actually understand what you're negotiating yes. and, and all that, um, and then trying to get it awarded. So, and then administering that contract and the issues that come up mm -hmm. throughout the process of um, post-award. So, um, so I think that is definitely a big one to hit on. And like you said, that starts at the lowest level, That's right. understanding what you're buying, That's right. and then that ties to the vision and the mission and then what those leaders out there should be pulling that and helping people understand this is this is your part in the bigger picture. That's right. And I, you know, the good thing is I've seen it at different levels. I've seen it from young airmen to young civilians all the way up the chain. And when, when folks can really buy into, you know, to what that mission is and understand what it is their part is in that mission, mm -hmm. and they can be very technically competent, which we have a lot of great folks out there, which is awesome. But when you can actually attach that technical competence to whatever it is that you're buying, mm -hmm. oh man, all of a sudden you get a swell of pride. Sure. And then to me, as units, then you get you know, higher morale and things like that. You get the secondary and tertiary effects of what it is of that understanding of what it is that you're doing. And then when, when everybody's bought in, wow, and you can actually talk about it and everybody can understand it, that, that's the sense of pride that you can, and satisfaction that you can get every day of the week. Yeah. And twice on Sunday. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one other thing that you mentioned was, you know, genuinely caring about your people. Yes. Um, so I also think that's very important. Um, yes. What, in what ways do you do that as a leader um, to help your units, your folks understand that you care, to show that you care, mm -hmm. um, that they're important? So for me, I've had a lot of good opportunities to, to lead different um, organizations, whether it be at the squadron at the flight or whatever level mm -hmm. and so I think I've been extremely fortunate to learn a lot of lessons as well as uh, give a lot back right mm -hmm. so I, I think um, to me it always started at the individual level I truly believe and I really believe this I don't just talk it I, um, I, I believe that everybody matters mm -hmm. everybody doesn't bring the same thing to the table and that's fine right. and that's one thing you have to understand as a leader but when you do tap into what people do bring to the table, um, that right there is huge. So it starts with being, and you don't have to be a social butterfly. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But when, it's, when you can kind of walk around, I believe in you know, you know, Abraham Lincoln's model of leadership by walking around. Mm -hmm. When you can get to know your folks at some degree, some level, that's, it starts there, right? Yeah. So one, showing them that you care just to even talk to them. But to me, something very important is actually listening. And I think that's what people, and people know if you're not listening to them, right? right? But when you listen to them, I mean, truly, actively, intently listen, mm -hmm. you're gonna pick something up. You don't have to have a photographic memory. God knows my, my, my memory is horrible <laughs> at, you know, for certain things. But when you pick certain things up, and then when you can actually go back and talk to different individuals at some level mm -hmm. about something that they've said, they all of a sudden they know that you that you care right. at some level. So but then you have to listen to what their needs are. So it's not just listening to them about what they did over the weekend, right. but really listen to them about um, what their needs are as far as training, career development and things like that to right. be able to get the job done in the first place. Right. And when you can listen to that and you tap into that, you really start that that drives you 
in everything I do as a leader because I, I was taught as a leader that, and as a squadron commander, for instance, focus on the things that only you can do because nobody else can do it. So if you at least focus on those things, and then you have other things to focus on as well, but if you focus on those things, which are your people and executing the best contracts for the mission mm -hmm. possible, people know that and people pay attention to that. And so I've done it in different ways. I've done it individually. I've done it, um, I've had a lot of good success and fortune to be able to meet with, for instance, if I'm a squadron commander, mm -hmm. I've made it. I made it a mission of mine to actually meet with my different ranks of people. So for instance, I've met with my airmen because when you, I found that when you just talk to certain people and sometimes collectively it helps because everybody doesn't want to talk, you know? Right. So, but collectively you may find out different things about different, you know, grades and ranks and things like that mm -hmm. all the way up to civilian. Because again, our civilians are, are huge to what we do in our career field. I've done it. Um, for both of my commands, and, uh, and I've gotten to learn a lot about what our folks needed, and guess what? I've had to change course. I've had to adjust fire. I've had to, or I just, just continued doing what I was doing, focusing on getting them the training, getting them the top cover that they needed. Mm -hmm. They're gonna tell you some things, right. and you have to be able to listen, right? right? And I found that some people just, you know, um, didn't appreciate contracting. A lot of people didn't understand it what we did, and in turn... What's wrong with those people? Oh, yeah. what are, why are they holding up my requirement? And so in turn, they, they took it out on our, our folks. Mm -hmm. And if I did not take the time to actually talk to our folks and talk to them either one-on-one -on -one or in group sessions or as a squadron in squadron commander's call, I would have I never known that. Mm -hmm. And I would have never been able to tap into, you know what, let me go try this. Let me go talk externally outside of our organizations to our customers and let me do what you can't do because sometimes in a position it helps to be in a position to be able to articulate certain things and in turn when they saw that I gave them the top cover that they needed mm -hmm. that's just one aspect of taking care of your people right right when I gave them that top cover it actually translated to different things we had secondary and tertiary effects of that too morale and or people cared a little bit more or they just kind of they worked a little bit harder whatever it is right well, and two, it probably helped you discover where your blind spots are. Oh, absolutely. Because, and that's the thing as a leader, you don't know it all. Right. There's no way possible you can see it all. Um, and so, yes, you're, if you talk to your folks, they'll tell you. Um, so that's why I say it's very important to listen, because they'll tell you where your blind spots are. And sometimes it's, it's tough. It's not an easy solution to a lot of those things. Yeah. But when you actually talk to your folks, it's, it's really important that, um, to me, sometimes you get their buy-in. Mm -hmm. And when not only getting their buy-in, but they become part of that solution. Right. So I'm, I'm one of those people that if the opportunity presents itself and if it's the right setting for the right decision, I'll include as many folks as possible and listen. And one thing I've found is that it may not be anything close to what I was thinking before. Mm -hmm. It may be something that uh, kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but I listened to it. Yeah. And then maybe I didn't think about it that way. They're, again, talking about blind spots. Mm -hmm. Well, let's try that. Or, or at the end of the day, I made a decision based on whatever it is, right. whether it was their input or not, but the fact that I listened made all the difference. Right. So in looking at um, your, your career in the Air Force thus far, um, 
An interesting thing about working for the Air Force is that there are virtually endless possibilities of where in the world you can work. Uh, so in looking, as I said, at your bio, um, you were stationed outside the continental U.S. for yes. eight and a half years. Yes, from, very fortunate. Yeah, from January 2006 <laughs> to June 2014 in places like Germany, Afghanistan, Turkey, Iraq, and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So how did this shape your professional and personal outlook and development? Well, first, I, I, I found that I was... I like to say I was blessed, but I also say I was fortunate. I, was ex I found personally that the personal growth of just going to different places, that it doesn't matter where you go, anything different than out of, especially if it's out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. will make you grow. It will change you. Mm -hmm. And being overseas definitely did that. So personally, I was able to expose my family uh, to this environment, mm -hmm. uh, like I was telling you before. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I feel that we would just, we're just better off because we got to experience different cultures, mm -hmm. different viewpoints, different experiences, uh, just a lot of different things just from being overseas. Now, professionally, it was very interesting, especially in contracting, because contracting is funny because we always have our challenges, right? Um, well, being overseas, uh, especially in Europe and in the, in the Middle East environments, we, there's a whole nother dynamic. <laughs> uh, you have to deal with the uh, the state to state agreements, the SOFAs, as we call them. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have some extra rule sets that we may may have. We have rule sets that we may not have to live under, like small doing small business and things like right. that. But you have to adjust to it. But the, to me, the biggest dynamic was dealing with the foreign governments um, in Germany was absolutely incredible. You know, they, we, we, they were definitely partners. Both environments were partners. Turkey, where they were partners with us as well, but it was a very unique environment. For instance, and every contracting person listening to this will, will understand this. Um, we did a review. We had local reviews of of the policies that we have from the Turkish and American governments and how we do business in their country. Well, they came at us with, well, we have a problem with with um, companies paying taxes. Okay, well, that's not our issue, but okay. Well, they, they said, and this affected me directly, they wanted to review, as we were doing source selections of the with Turkish companies, they said they wanted to review, after we've done our evaluation, they want us to give them all of our vendors in the companies that were, that proposed, give us all their proposals. And then if we don't get back to you in 30 days, you're good to go to proceed. <laughs> Well, not so right. much, you know, so that's the type of dynamic that you have in that environment right. in which we had to, you know, we had to tell you, well, that's not how we do business. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not just because you as a country, which we definitely wasn't going to do it, mm -hmm. but we don't even let other people out in our source selection in the United States. Right. So right. it's a very protected process. So it's just, it, we had some very interesting challenges mm -hmm. uh, that you just don't get to see on a day-to-day -day basis when you're a CONUS. That's how you really work on those communication skills. Oh, that's Am I communicating effectively? We drank a lot of tea, let me <laughs> yeah. say that. So, and, so, and so the folks, especially who went downrange to deploy in those uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, they know that too. Again, sometimes you just have to, it's a different culture. Sometimes it becomes very relational. And so, you know, they don't want to speed things up, you know, like we usually do in the, in the United States. They want to take their time. 
oh, let's talk about this. Let's have some tea. Let's, let's have some chai. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a difference. It's just one of those things where you just kind of have to put the, the rush, rush, rush behind you and say, okay, let me be patient. Let me rely on all the training that I was given right. and specific uh, things that we need to be sensitive to operating in these environments. And then at the end of the day, we're still going for the same thing. We're right. still going for the mission. We're still trying to get good deals, things like that. As we discussed, your, your assignments have taken you all over the globe. So what are your suggestions to airmen out there in the field on how to strengthen their network so that they have resources to reach out to? This one goes to me right at the heart of one of the things I'm very passionate about, and that's mentorship. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people, wherever I go, I talk to a lot of our, especially our junior officers. And one of the things I always ask is, do you have a mentor? And <clears throat> a lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to ask. So to, to me, this goes at the heart of that. Mm -hmm. So I would say to a lot of folks, whether you're military or civilian, just you can't be afraid to ask for mentorship. Right. To me, being a mentor is about, and, it's, it becomes, it, and we have different levels of mentorship. We have mentorship that becomes a little bit more personal, right. where you can have just be like a life coach or it could be more about professional development. Whatever that continuum is that you lock into, that you're willing to open yourself up, open for, um, definitely you, you should seek mentorship. And it's okay, it can start with your supervisor. It can be outside of your supervisory chain. So for instance, if I'm in a unit that does services and construction, and I've always wanted to do construction, but you know, I just thought I'm not in that chain, it's okay to go talk to them and say, okay, just kind of, you know, tell me what your experiences are. Tell me what I can look forward to. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, to me, as, as leaders, we should also look for those opportunities. So one thing I always do now, especially is that now that I've gotten to the senior leadership realms, is I actually tell folks to, uh, at the mid-level, you know, I don't have to do it for senior leaders. They do it all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But at the mid-level, like for instance, the young captains and maybe the GS-12s or, you know, at that range, take the opportunity to be a mentor as well. Mm -hmm. So you can seek mentorship. That's always good. You, I, th I think you should always seek mentorship, even as senior leaders. Our senior leaders, we, we always need somebody to confide in and, and to seek counsel, just to bounce ideas off of. So I think you're never too high to, to seek mentorship. But it's okay for other for for folks to seek to be mentors as well. So it's really, you know, it's a dual-edged sword. You definitely have to ask for it, but as, as young leaders, whether you think of yourself as that or not, you should be looking for people to, to mentor. So it's good to, you know, whether you're walking around, whether you just see somebody who's just junior, whether it be a copper cap or a young lieutenant or a young captain, I don't care who it is, seek mentorship and seek to be a mentor as well. So as you graduate up that chain, you know exactly how it is to, to, you know, to ask questions and things like that about whether it be career development, mm -hmm. whether it be just about exp experiences. Yeah. You know what, how do I do source selection? How did you get into source selection? Um, how, do, how did you do your first protest? Like what, what, how do I get through that? Or one thing I found is public speaking. A lot of our folks are, believe it or not, a lot of our leaders are, are, are introverted. I don't know if you knew that, mm -hmm. but they are phenomenal speakers and they know how to work a crowd, right? But you'd be surprised, they're, they're introverted. So to me, they become situational extroverts, so right. to speak. 
And that's one of the things that our young folks who are looking to looking for mentor, you know, mentors, that's it could be something as small as that. How do I how do I come out of my shell? How do I talk in front of people? And so one of the things I always used to do as a as a as a squadron commander is I would look for those folks. I would look for again, going back to the needs of the people, I would look for those opportunities to, okay, tell me what you who you are and how you are and why you are. And okay, got it. So I want you to go talk to that person or come talk to me. Right. And we're gonna help you with that, whatever it is. And so if, if it's, you know, if they're afraid to get up and brief, uh, brief a senior leader, um, guess what? Guess what I'm gonna get you to do? Next one up. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, but I make sure they practice. Some people needs a little, need a little bit more practice mm -hmm. than others. But if that's what their need was, or that's what they needed help with, that's what we went through. If it's general contracting knowledge, well, guess what? Guess what I'm going to do? Guess I'm going to either attach you to somebody mm -hmm. um, who is very smart in whatever it is, uh, simplified acquisition or source selection or whatever the case may be. Right. And we're going to, I want you to study so it's incumbent upon you to bring something to the table. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go over it with you. We're going to talk. We call it walking the dog. Mm -hmm. We're going to help you think through those processes. Yeah. So, so if folks are looking to build their network, I would say they cannot be afraid to actually actively go out and ask people. Right. So if you're a military person, you don't have to, especially in AFMC, we don't have as many military folks. You don't have to go to a military person. Mm -hmm. you can, there's a lot of phenomenal civilians out there that you can go to. And oh, by the way, they've probably mentored and, and have led many military officers and enlisted before you. Mm -hmm. So just go to them and just talk. Hey, by the way, tell me, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And believe it or not, once you start developing those relationships, it just becomes natural. And so no matter where you move to, they'll always be there for you. Right. You can always reach back to that person. And the more people you go to, it's okay. You don't have to go to one person, go to many. Right. They may have all different views, but then at the end of the day, you have to be able to kind of balance whatever they, advice they gave you and then apply it to how, you know, to you and how it affects you, whether it be for your career or for your life. So I wanna make sure I get to some of these questions from the field. So um, one of them is, your personnel have noted that you are an inspirational leader. Who said that? Somebody that, <laughs> that must've been somebody you led. So from your perspective, how do you manage to maintain a mission focus while ensuring your personnel are taken care of and have the resources to succeed? Well, to me, again, it goes to a lot of the things I've kind of said already, but it, it all it starts and ends with the mission, mm -hmm. right? So as a leader, I always have to be understand what it is that we're there for, and then what is our part in it, and then be able to break it down to sub-elements within our unit. Right. And then it goes back to me just really staying in tune with our folks. Mm -hmm. so, so one is the mission and the vision, being able to translate that of why we're doing because sometimes, unfortunately, people may get into the day-to-day -day and I'm just writing contracts. Right. I'm just writing contracts. And they just go through a process. And they're very good at what they do. Right. But, when you, but when you can connect it to that mission, that's important. Right. Oh, and by the way, I don't care if you're, what you're doing. You can be the GPC pro, you know, coordinator. Mm -hmm. You can be the, uh, the quality assurance coordinator. I don't care what you're doing. You can be a flight chief. You can be a div chief. You can be a buyer. You can be a contracts manager. I don't... Whatever you're doing, you matter. Mm -hmm. And so really is, 
is, is, is, is listening to, once you've articulated why you're important, start listening to your folks and translate that um, into what their needs are and then turn, and then turn it into um, why, the, why it's important. Right. So and this might be somewhat connected to that as well, but um, in our current acquisition environment, organizations are being told to be more agile and implement innovative approaches, which is a change to past acquisition environments. How have you managed leading change in an organization that is resistant to change? Well, change is, one thing I found is, is change is constant, and that's an overused cliche, but it is true. And so no matter where I've gone, it's always change. And so I don't know anything but change, I guess. So it's, it's interesting. Recently, I think it was Miss Lord um, that came out with the phrase, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So really, that, that really kind of wraps it up, but you kind of get comfortable with change. And so by doing that, if you can get comfortable with change, knowing that things are not going to be the same. Today is one way. Right. Next year is going to be something completely different. Right. Then you can, to me, that's when, you, that's when you have that open communication strategy and plan with your folks. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to tell them and articulate why we're changing, mm -hmm. where we're changing to. If you can give them what the expectation, the performance-based outcome right of what it is that we're going. So again, they know where we're going. We don't know exactly what it's gonna look like, right. but I can tell you the overall picture of where we're going. Then to me, that's, it becomes very important. Then they can start uh, personalizing it and understanding that, well, no matter what, it's gonna change. Right. Then a good part of it to me is getting them to buy in. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways you can get people to buy in. One of the things that I've found is that as we change, I can't make the change by myself right. as a leader. It's no way possible. Mm -hmm. No one leader can do it all by themselves. Well, we have to rely on our people. And so I bring my, my influencers, my change agents, mm -hmm. into whatever the, the skull sessions, the brainstorming sessions, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Once we have an understanding of where we're going and, and the change we're about to do, I get their input. It's important to bring them into that and, and bring their, again, listening to your people. Right. And so they take ownership of that change right. versus, you know, a small group of people making the change and then in turn pushing it out to the unit. And then, oh, my goodness, people don't understand. It was right. never talked. You hear that all the time. It, I'm, what are we doing? It? Why are we doing this? Nobody ever told me anything. And that's unfortunate. If that happens, that's unfortunate. So to me. If I can get, especially a mid-level leaders or change agents, and sometimes you can get people from all different levels, mm -hmm. bring them in, get their ideas, all right? And then, to me, that's where you get people to buy into the fact that, guess what? Change is going to happen. Right. Let's do it together. Right. And when you do it together and you can take their input, now, not all input is incorporated. It's just, it's just not possible. Right. But once you get all that input put in into that formula and then it spits out, whatever it is, then it's amazing the, when people buy into the change. And they're as, as, as accepting of change as well. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but uh, it's just one of those things. We have some great change agents from the top to the bottom, mm -hmm. from our great leaders that we have um, all the way to the bottom. You'll be surprised at all the great ideas that come um, with, with uh, innovation and and just doing things differently and how we can do it differently. 
And when you can tap into that, oh man, there's no, there's no ceiling on what can possibly be done while you're making that change. So I want to throw in one more question and then we'll probably wrap this up. But um, feeling passionate about leadership, I can guess you're also a student of leadership. Are there any books you would recommend to folks out in the field on leadership or any other topic? So, yes, there's a host of books, but I can tell you that two books that I've kind of um, gravitated towards uh, throughout my entire career. Uh, one is the, Seek the Leadership Secrets of Colin Powell. I kind of jumped on that, onto that uh, early in my career because I've always admired his leadership and, and what he brings. And so within that, I mean, he, he talks about a lot of different things, but just a couple of nuggets. One, uh, leadership is not a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. And so you shouldn't, you're not going to please everybody. And that's, you got to understand that. But um, when you understand that, then you move out because the mission is the most, it comes back to the mission. Mm -hmm. What's the most important aspect? But at the same time, he did talk about being able to cut through the bureaucracy and get into the people that, you know, the people that you empower as a leader, which is very important as a leader to empower your folks, right. getting to the people, cut through all that, you know, because a lot of things filter up and by the time they get to you is very filtered. Go to the people that know, go to the people that are actually doing the job and get their opinion. Right. We call them SMEs, you know, subject matter experts. Go to those folks and, and you'll be surprised. Again, you'll be surprised at the innovation that you will be able to drive and the change that you can be able to drive. Another book uh, that to me that I really, I have it right here in front of me as a matter of fact, it's by Tony Dungy and it's called The Mentor Leader. Oh man, that's the one that to me, it has so many, I'm not gonna even go into all those different lessons that anybody, even though he was a football coach for the NFL, mm -hmm. it goes way beyond that. To me, this, it drives to the heart of leadership. And so he talks about one being competent, being genuine, being able to get into the trenches. But one of the most important things that I, that I carried away, besides obviously character, uh, you know, having uh, being a leader of character, to me it was when he talked about, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. Oh man, to me, when you can accept that as a leader and realize that it's not about me, it's about the mission and actually the people doing the mission and let the rest of it take, take care of itself. Wow, once you get over yourself, in other words, um, you can get very far and you can make a lot of change. You can influence a lot of things, a lot of people. And the ceiling, is, there is no ceiling. The sky's the limit. I want to thank you very much for this conversation today. This um, was I, awesome. I thought it was very enjoyable. So I actually want to keep going, but I'm trying to like be cognizant of time. But no, okay. we might have to do another, another episode <laughs> here with you. So, um, so I just want to thank you today. And if you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at the contracting experience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the contracting experience podcast until next time. Keep connecting to the world around you.